You can't beat those old hymns. Amen? We began a series a few weeks ago called Bible Blockbusters, and I told you that every uh, title of the messages would come from a reality TV show so that you'd remember it better. Today I want to do Lost. Now there was a controversy between services, and some rose up and said, Lost was not a reality TV show, it was another kind of show, but I always do my homework. So the controversy was ended quickly, and I answered, there was a reality TV show called Lost, only showed three episodes, but it was there, and it showed in Britain. You got to be very, very careful if you think you've got one up on me. Because I know I'm going to be up in front of you and I got to be right. All right. So today, say with me, lost. lost. Well, we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. What a story. If you know anything about Christianity or the teachings of Christ, you know about Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, Jesus presents three lost things. A lost coin a lost sheep, and a lost son. But in his mind, each one of those in the teaching represented a lost soul. The coin, a lost soul. The sheep, a lost soul. And the son, a lost soul. So Jesus is very concerned about things that are lost. So let's read this. Luke 15. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, packed his suitcases, and walked away, journeying to a far country. And there he squandered and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate. Let me tell you how gross that is before we finish. A pod, we've all had corn on the cob. You eat all the corn off, you have the cob. That's what the pod is. He was eating the cob after there's no more corn, pig food. So he was desperate and nobody gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I sit here perishing with hunger. I will arise. Say that with me. I will arise and do what? Go to my father. Lord, I thank you for your word today. And I pray that you will draw people to you, those that have begun to drift, those that might be right now, Lord, in a far country, far away from you. I pray the Spirit of God will convict their heart graciously and draw them near and restore us, Lord, to full fellowship. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God is good. And you can be seated. God bless you. And didn't Pam do a beautiful job uh, playing that piano? I appreciate that. And I want to remind you that tonight is back to school bash. We're expecting a thousand teenagers. 
what we read about in this parable. We're focusing on all weekend, reaching out for those that have strayed. And if you know any teenagers that are drifting, that don't know the Lord, that are far away, invite them. We're going to have youth groups from all over the Metroplex. And uh, now you've noticed these speakers, and some of you saw those speakers and said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble today. Uh, One place you won't find me tonight is on the front row when those speakers are blaring. I will be back there. But you know, young people still have hearing to spare. So they can come and listen. But it's going to be great. I encourage you to bring somebody, and it's going to be good. Now, the prodigal son, the story of what is lost. When you look at this story, there's three men, three characters involved, the father and two sons. Now, in this parable that Jesus gave to us to teach us about life, the father represents God. And the sons represent God's children, you and me. That's who they represent. And the primary focus is on the youngest son, who's later called prodigal, which means wild or wasteful, because he went and lived wild and wasted everything that he had. So the prodigal son, the youngest one, that's the focus. Though there's a lot to be said about the elder brother, which is another message on another day. But here we are focusing now on this boy, In the story, Jesus calls him lost. Now, he's not geographically lost because when he left the father's house, he knew exactly how to get to the far country. He knew where he was going. So he wasn't lost in that sense. When he decided to come home, he knew exactly how to get home. So when Jesus used the word lost, he was talking about something else. He was lost, this boy, in the worst kind of way, because he was spiritually lost. He left his father's house. And for this reason, Jesus called him lost. Now the Greek word for lost was very strong. It actually means to be destroyed or to be ruined. I'm getting a little feedback up up here, guys, behind me. Okay? Sound guys? A little feedback right back here. Thank you. Uh, So here he is, he's lost, and Jesus said, to me that means he's being destroyed or he's being ruined. When you leave the Father and the Father's house, Jesus said, you're lost, you've gone away that is destructive, that is ruinous. So this young boy, when he left the Father's house, walked into ruin, walked into destruction. He went from a place of plenty to a place of ruin, lost, this younger son represents the child of God who decides that living in obedience to the Heavenly Father, doing His will and abiding by His rules is no longer desirable. I don't want to be in the Father's house anymore. I want my freedom. I want my independence. I've grown up this way. I'm tired of the same old thing. I'm ready to launch out into true independence. And a lot of times when you think you're stepping into freedom, you're really stepping into bondage. And this is what this boy did. Now, we can only surmise that through some older hired hands around the house, this younger son heard of what Jesus calls the far country. The far country. In this young man's mind, the far country became this magical, exciting place 
that he began feeling more and more deprived of with every passing day. This far country, it lit his imagination because when he heard about it, the far country was glamorized. It was promoted. It was exalted. It was made to sound appealing. He heard incredible things like you hear about Disney World or you hear about some place you've never been to and it lights your imagination and, and you want to go there and you want to see it. He had heard an embellished version of the far country. And it began to work on him. It began to chew on him. He began to believe that he was missing out being in the Father's house. Ever had that thought? I'm missing out being in this Christian stuff. I'm missing out being in church. There's, there's something out there that I want to experience. He felt life was passing him by and that those in the far country were the ones that were really living it up and having all the fun and he was losing it. He was missing out. He was kind of being cheated on life and it began to work on his mind. Now in this parable, the far country represents the world, the world that the Bible talks about with all of its temptations and attractions and glitz and glamour, all that is bad and wrong with the world. That's the world we're talking about, not God's creation. I love God's creation. I'm a fan of God's creation. It's beautiful, and I love what God the Father gave to us. But when, when we talk about the world in the Bible, we're often not talking about that at all. But we're talking about the world that James described as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, which means I have an attitude that I don't need God anymore. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. The pride of life. That's the world that is being painted here. And that's the world that was described by Jesus as the far country. And I believe Jesus called the far country because when you go there, you are far away from good decision making, safety, sanity, and from the Father. See, the further you get away from the Father, the less safe you are. You're in a far country, and there's a lot of people, some of you here today, you might be in a seat in a church, but in your heart, you're in a far country. And Jesus is going to tell us the truth about that far country today. He's going to tell us what the world is really like, what it will do to you if you sell out to it and pursue it instead of pursuing God. We see in Scripture how Satan is very, very effective in presenting the far country in a positive light. That's his job. The devil is a master at painting what is evil to look good. He's a master at lying and creating a mirage and a delusion and making what will destroy you look like something positive and advantageous to your life. He's a master at it. He knows how to lure and entice and draw and tempt and make you feel like you're being cheated if you don't go there and enjoy that. That's, that's his forte. That's his modus operandi. The devil does not appear as a red person with a long tail and horns and a pitchfork. He appears as something beautiful or handsome and attractive and magnetic and drawing and enticing. And he 
is so confident in his ability to do that that one day he actually tried it with Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness uh, fasting 40 days and nights, the devil came to tempt him. And in the third temptation, it says the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain and he gestured expansively, kind of like this. He gestured expansively and he said, Jesus, look at all this. The Bible says... He was pointing out all the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. He showed Jesus the glamour, the splendor, the magnificence, the preeminence, and the excellence of what the world had to offer. He painted it with broad strokes. He made it glitter. He made it glisten. He made it gleam. But there was one major stipulation. There's always a hook in anything the devil brings into your life. There's always a hook. It may look really good, but there's always a hook. There's always a hook that's going to snare you and trap you and bring you into a situation you did not bargain for. He says to Jesus, they're yours. Everything I just showed you, lock, stock, and barrel. Just get down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Can you imagine the arrogance of the devil, the insanity of the devil, that he could literally look at God's son and say, worship me. In order to bite the bait, Jesus must bow down and worship Satan. He must vow allegiance to him in order to take what he offered. And you know what? When a child of God decides to leave the Father's house, leave the Father's will, go out there into the world, chase the things that you think you want, that the devil is holding up in front of you like a good fisherman that casts that shiny lure on that glassy, calm pond and begins to flick it and move it, and make it look like something real and that fish thinks it's real he is convinced it's real until finally he can't stand it he bites it and realizes that now he's being pulled in a way he did not want to go he's being brought into the presence of a being he didn't want to be in the presence of and he is snared and trapped and eventually gutted that's what happens to us when we swallow the devil's temptations when a child of God decides to leave the father's house for the far country, he too is going to have to switch allegiances from the father to all that Satan stands for. He's going to have to let go of the father's hand and take care or take hold of Satan's hand. This is why James warned, do you not know that to love the sinful things of the world and be a friend of them is to be against God? Yes, I say again, if you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Think about that. If you are more concerned with the applause of the world and the acceptance of the world and what the world has to offer you enough that you begin to pursue it and give your life for it and your time to it and you walk away from God, you have become the enemy of God. You can't be the enemy of God and the friend of the world or the friend of the world without being the enemy of God. You can't do it. You're going to be the enemy of God. It's never worth it. It's never a good trade. But it's what this son was being tempted to. Of course, Jesus rebuked the devil, saying, You shall worship God only, and Him only shall you serve. And it says the devil fled from him. At that, from that moment on, he left him. But the younger son didn't take a stand against the world's pull. He swallowed the bait, hook, line, and sinker, just took it. He could stand it no longer. He must leave. He must strike out on his own for the far country. Off he went. He approached his father and demanded to have his inheritance early. Haste and impatience took the place of a patient abiding in the house. He got hasty and got impatient. It gripped him, which is typical of the flesh. 
You can know that it's the flesh when it can't wait, when it demands fulfillment, when the flesh <clears throat> will not embrace the concept of delayed gratification. The flesh wants what it wants when it wants it, period. The son didn't know it. But when he walked away from the father's house, he also walked away from the father's wisdom and protection and presence and walked straight into the arms of a waiting devil. And you know that Scripture predicts in the last days many are going to walk out of the father's house. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, In the last days, that's us, many shall depart from the faith. Let's just change that a bit. Many shall depart from the father's house. The Lord's teachings, His Word, His will, His way of living, His way of doing things, His presence, His love, they will be tantalized, they will be enticed, they will be tempted, they will be lured away by false teachers and false teachings and false religions, false faiths. Paul said the Spirit speaks expressly. The Spirit tells us beyond the shadow of a doubt in the last days, there is going to be this incredible, this incredible pull away from the reality of God. And many are going to depart from the faith. And where are they going to go to? Doctrines of demons and teachings of devils. And they're going to be lured away, just like this boy. They're going to say, you know what? It's time for me to go find something else. I've got an itch for something else. I'm going to go find some other faith, some other religion. They head for Buddhism. They head for Islam. They head for something. Secular humanism, whatever. Now, I want to point out a few things about this young man who Jesus called the prodigal son. This is really something. Let me tell you the truth about him. His drift from the father happened in subtle stages over time. Nobody falls overnight. When you hear about somebody crashing and burning in their faith and going off into sin and going off into spiritual shipwreck, I assure you, it did not happen overnight. Nobody walks away from God in a day. It is a slow, incremental, step-by-step -step process because the devil knows with a child of God, they know too much. I can't get them down in one day. But I'm going to do it step-by-step -step, in pale shades of gray, incrementally, over time, it's never an overnight thing. It's a slow drift, like a raft that you get into a few yards from the shore at the ocean. You ever done that? I've done it. I've done it many times. You get in that raft, you're caked in your suntan lotion, you've got your shades on, you're on vacation, everything's cool. You lay back, and you're just, you're just going to rest and enjoy the waves and the seagulls and every the blue skies, and, and, and you close your eyes for a little bit, and when you open your eyes and lift your head up, you freak because you are way from the shore. You drifted and didn't even know it. Now you're out there where the sharks are and where the water can drown you, and you weren't even aware you were going there. And what do you do? You immediately sit up and you start paddling, trying to get back to shore. That's the way it is when you drift in spiritual things, when you drift from God. And we're in a drifting age. You can't just sit still in the ocean of life and not paddle to keep yourself towards shore uh, you, you can't just sit there and let yourself drift because those who drift will not drift towards God. They will drift away from God. We're in a drifting age. We're in a fight of faith. And you've got to cling tight to God and cling tight to the promises and stay in church and stay in the Word of God and don't walk away and don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Amen. 
So he experienced a slow drift. It happened in stages. Now here's where I believe it began. It began with entertaining the wrong thoughts. As I just mentioned, he had no doubt heard from others about the far country, the fun of it, the wine, the women, the song, the parties, the fast life, the excitement, the adventure, college life. He'd heard about it, and it began to work on his mind. The more he heard of it, here's what began to happen to him. The more he heard of it, the less content he was with the Father's house. A little voice said to him, you're missing out. Ever heard that voice? You're missing out, fool. You're not enjoying life. Everybody around you is laughing and having a good time, and here you sit, Mr. or Mrs. Religious, going to church. You're missing out. You're a fool if you stick around here, the voice says. Everyone is having all the fun while you sit rotting away in the Father's house. If you're not careful, these thoughts begin to work on you and cause discontent. The thoughts become a worm turning in the mind, sowing the seeds of discontent. And this is what happened to this boy. He had it made in the Father's house. He had all the provision, all the money, all the fellowship, all the esteem, all the position. But the worm began to turn. You're missing out. You've heard about that far country. Don't you want to go there? Don't you want to go to that world and find out what's there and check it out and do what they do and have some fun before you die? Paul the Apostle warned of the need to take control of certain kinds of thoughts. And this is one of them. Listen to what he said in Philippians 4.8, one of my favorite passages. Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, everybody say it with me, think. Say it, preach it to me. Think. Set your mind on these things. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy. Set your mind on these things. Be careful what you think about and dwell on, Paul is saying. Because whatever the devil's got to do to stir up discontent within you, he will work it until you decide you've got to get out and got to make a change. You see, God deals with our hearts, but the devil deals with our thoughts. And if he can get a stronghold in your thought life, he can lure you away because your feet will follow your thoughts. So all the time, we're to saturate our mind in the Word of God. I mean soak in that Bible. I read that Bible every single day before I eat anything. I read the Bible. I eat the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Listen, we're not, we're not playing church anymore. This is a fight for our lives and for our nation. Let God arise and His enemies be scattered. We need the church to stand up. And so we need, we need lions of the faith. We need mighty men and mighty women. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. It does not come by watching Good Morning America before you walk out the door in the morning. No, no, no. Faith comes by opening up that Bible and letting the good food of the Word of God gather that manna every morning and soak it up because it is your life. You will not live by bread alone. Crispy creams won't keep you alive, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, change is great if God's the one bringing the change. I'm not against change. 
But if the discontent begins to carry you away from the Father, you can bet it's a thought you need to take captive. So he began to think the wrong things. He began to think and meditate on the far country. Now the next stage in the prodigal's drift away was in his attitude towards his father. And this really gets me. He began to cop an attitude. Now remember, the father in this story is God. So he began to have an attitude in Jesus' parable. It's like one of us having an attitude towards God. I hear something in the two words the prodigal used when he approached his father. I want you to hear these words. He said, give me. Give me. Here's what he didn't say. Father, please give to me my inheritance. You're so wonderful. And if you don't give to me graciously, I'm not going to have it. Or may I please have my inheritance, Father? No, his attitude was, you owe me. You owe me. Now listen to the my's and me's and I's and all of that. Give me my inheritance. Give me my share of the property that is coming to me. He reminds me of this generation. He reminds me of baby boomers. I'm a baby boomer. He reminds me of this generation we're living in. He's all about I, me, my, and mine. The Godhead of this current generation is me, myself, and I. Not God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This younger son had developed an entitlement mentality. You owe me, Father, because I'm so blasted wonderful. I am just so wonderful. You owe me. You owe me the inheritance. It's mine. It's, it's, it should be coming to me. You owe me. He has no concept that everything he was getting came from the Father and not himself. Reminds me of the entitlement. Listen, he had an entitlement mentality. That's this generation, an entitlement mentality. He had an entitlement. He would, he would have been great in our day. Give me that government check. You owe it to me. I don't need to work anymore. It ought to be just coming to me because I'm so wonderful. You owe it to me. Give me that government check. Listen, this was the voice of a spoiled brat. No concept that everything he was getting came from the Father and not himself. And you can mark it down, church. Thanklessness towards God is one of the first signs of a backsliding heart. I thank God all the time. I make a point of thanking God all the time. And, and I know you do too, every November on Thanksgiving. But guess what? We ought to be thankful not just on November 25th. We ought to be thankful 365 days a year because we have a great God who has done wonderful things. And we have what we have because God gave it to us out of the goodness of his heart. See, this, this boy didn't have the right to it. It was the Father's goodness and graciousness that was giving it to him. We've got to get out of this entitlement mentality. Nobody is owed anything. We need to get thankful. We need to be grateful. All the time I thank God. I, thank, I have thank sessions all on my own. I'll go into my room, shut the door, and I'll just begin to thank God. Why do I do that? Because I want a heart that is close to Him. And a heart close to Him is a thankful heart. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I just don't have anything to be thankful for. Everything's gone south. I've lost my job, lost everything. Here I am in the middle of nowhere. I'm in a desert. What do I have to be thankful for? Let me tell you. If you can't find anything in your natural life, just remember this. Once you were lost, but now you are found. Once you were blind, but now you can see. 
Once you were hell-bound, now you are heaven-bound. Once you didn't have a Savior, today you've got a Savior, and you've got a God who is rooting for you. You can start with thanking God for your salvation, because by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So just begin to have a thank fit, and if you have a thank fit, you will have a benefit. Amen? You'll have a benefit. You say, well, well, what do you mean? Well, people have fear fits all the time, worry fits all the time, anger fits all the time. Why not have a thank fit which leads to a benefit? We're supposed to be people. Listen, it says, he stores up his benefits for us every day. Great is his faithfulness. So let's just say, thank you, Lord God, for my salvation. Now give him a hand of praise today. Amen. But with this boy, we don't hear any affection. We don't hear any gratefulness. There is an arrogance. There is a disrespect in those demanding words. Give me. I've noticed an attitude in people who leave the Father's house and strike out for the far country. Their attitude is, I deserve this. I've labored for years under the Father's rules, requirements, and expectations. I deserve this. It's my right. Give it to me. Happens to young people all the time when they leave home and church for college. You can watch it happen. They walk away, they forget everything they've been taught, and they wind up wounded and bleeding in the far country. The prodigal son's drift away began with entertaining the wrong thoughts and then developing a wrong attitude. And I'm going to submit to you that this young boy, by this point, was already lost before he ever left. He was lost in the Father's house before he was ever lost in the far country. He didn't go to the far country and get lost. He was already lost in the house. He'd already moved away in his heart, in his attitude, and in his affections. He was gone. His body was there, but his heart was gone. The prodigal son was already wandering about, lost in the woods of stinking thinking and dire desires. And our churches are full of prodigals who are in the house, but their hearts aren't there. Can I meddle a little bit? They're lost in the woods of stinking thinking in the house, full of prodigals in the house. They're in the Father's house, but they're not walking with the Father. They attend religious services, but as Jesus said, their hearts are far from me. Billy Graham once said, the greatest harvest field in all the world is the church. Because in the church, you've got people sitting there who left long ago. Their bodies are there. They're going through religious motions, but their hearts aren't there. There's no zeal. They've lost their first love. Sometimes they ask themselves why they're sitting there. Why am I here anymore? Because it's not a real experience to you anymore. Let me tell you something. You don't fix it out here. You fix it in here. Jesus called us in the book of Revelations. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He was talking to people whose hearts had departed from him. And he said, If you'll let me in, I will sup with you and restore my fellowship with you and you with me. Jesus warned that this kind of spiritual lostness, where you can actually sit in the house but not be of the house, is the worst lostness of all. Luke eleven thirty four. Your eye is the lamp of your body, but when your eye, which is the conscience is sound and fulfilling its office, keeping you right, your whole body is full of light. But when it is not sound and you are defiling your conscience, 
and it's not fulfilling its office, your body is full of darkness. And how great, Jesus said, is that darkness? Because that darkness is the worst darkness of all because that's spiritual lostness. Finally, that son, he drifted even further by taking a fateful step. He walked away. He went to the door with a suitcase packed and said, See you, Dad. I appreciate it. It's been real. Thanks for all the fun. Thanks for the early inheritance. I'm gone. He was already gone. Might as well make it official. His thoughts had become an attitude. His attitude had become an action. He traded the house and the father and all the safety and the security for the far country. Off he went, all alone. The father stood on the porch, watching him walk away. So his drift from the father begins the way, began the way all of us drift when we do. A wrong thought, wrong attitude, and finally a fateful step. When we decide, I'm gone. Now, I thank God that Jesus told the truth about the far country. And let me tell you what Jesus told us about the world, the way it really is. First, he encountered what had been in him all along. And that's what catches me about this far country. When he got there, it didn't make him evil. It didn't make him fleshly. He was already fleshly. He, it revealed, the far country revealed what had been in him all along. He quickly descended, quickly, overnight, into a wild, depraved lifestyle which only revealed what was already in his heart. The far country was everything his carnal flesh had ever hoped for. Boy, this was party-hardy time. There was endless wine, willing women, wild living. The prodigal son partied on day and night. He became the quintessential party animal. Surely he thought to himself, knowing people, man, I should have done this a long time ago. This is a blast. I wasted all those years in the father's house. His father soon became a distant memory. The old house faded from his thoughts. But let me tell you the truth now. There's pleasure in sin. There is. For a season, the Bible says. But then comes payday. I want to assure you, church, when you bite the bait that the world offers, you may enjoy it for a little time, and you will. That's the way the devil works. But payday comes someday. Payday comes Sooner or later, the consequences roll in. There's no way to get around it. What you sow, you reap. It says God is not mocked. If you sow a tomato seed, you're not going to get an orange. What you sow is precisely what you reap, and you reap more than you sowed, and it lasts longer than you thought it would, and you go, go further than you thought you should. The prodigal son soon discovered the far country was an illusion, that it had been trumped up and it wasn't true. What it promised was a lie. The Bible says that sin is deceitful and warns us lest any of you become deceived by sin and hardened against God. When the devil convinces you that you need to go into that world and taste of what that world's got to offer, and so you go off into some of the world's goods and you taste of the world's goods, I guarantee you a payday will come someday and you will realize what this boy realized, that it was a delusion, a mirage, like somebody walking through a desert, dying of thirst. And then just ahead, there it is, I see water, and you begin to crawl 
and, 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 and scratch and pull and, and lunge towards it. And you can't wait to get to it. But when you arrive where you saw or thought you saw the water, it's not there. And all you have is hot sand sifting through your disappointed fingers. And that's the way it always is when a Christian thinks there's something in the world. There's not. There is not anything of value in the world. The joy is in the Father's house. The goods are in the Father's house. The peace is in the Father's house. The power is in the Father's house. Listen, life is in the Father's house. Like dominoes, the consequences fell. First the money ran out. It always does. He burned his whole 401k in a few months. Bang! Everything that he had been saved up for him for his whole life to live off the interest of it, to invest it, it was all gone. Sin eats up your valuables. Sin always subtracts. God always multiplies. And when the money ran out, Shazam! So did his far country friends. Because you see, in the far country, you don't have real friends. You have users and abusers. You have takers. When they see that you've got something, they're all for you and all with you and calling you all the time. Let's go here. Let's go there. But as soon as you don't have any money or anything to offer them, far country friends are gone. They walk away. You don't make real friends in the far country. You meet users. You meet takers. You don't make godly friends who are going to stick with you when the chips are down and when you've lost everything and made terrible mistakes. All the far country friends walk away when there's nothing more to get off of you. But godly friends walk in when everybody else walks out. That's why you need to pick godly friends, real friends, who will say to you, yeah, you blew it. Let's go have a cup of coffee and talk about it. And they'll let you cry on their shoulder and they'll look you in the eye and say, I love you anyway. Let's get back on our feet and get back in the race. That's a real godly friend. The world's full of far country friends, fair weather friends. He realized that when he didn't have anything else, they were all gone. And cold reality began to set in like a harsh slap in the face. Pop! You were the devil's fool. Thrill was gone. Party was over. Next, the far country experienced a true famine. What he thought was going to be so full of fun and so full of riches and so full of adventure turned into a nightmare. And that's the way the world always morphs when you give yourself to it. It looks like it's got plenty, and then you wake up, and you're in a famine. It begins with fun, but it always ends in famine. Desperation set in for this boy. Away from father, lost in the far country, broke, hungry, lonely, destitute. His drift from the father now hit rock bottom, and it always will. He was forced to take a humiliating job feeding pigs, and he was so hungry that he began to eat the husk that I told you about. Can you imagine chomping down on one of those? That's hungry. You know what the final stage is in a drift from God? Whatever direction you've gone in is always proven in what you wind up eating. Figuratively speaking, what you wind up eating. See the man whose drift from God has descended into waking up daily only to seek out the next drink. Look what he's having to eat. Look what he's having to consume. 
When you go the devil's way, you will always wind up consuming and having to consume what destroys you. See the woman whose drift from God has brought her to living only for the next fix, be it a drug or, guess what, another empty relationship. From man to man, drug to release, one release after another, one, one hope after another, this might be it, maybe this is it, I hope this is it, but you always end up consuming what destroys you. See the young person whose drift from God has left them wandering the streets, doing degrading things just to survive. We've all seen these kids that go to Hollywood thinking, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be famous. But if you've ever been to Hollywood like I have and gone to those streets, you see these kids in rags with needle marks up and down their arm, selling their bodies to survive. They chased the devil's dream and the devil made a fool of them and they are destroyed. Living in freezing weather without a coat, I've seen them. It never pays to walk away from the Father's house. It always pays to stay home. Stay home. Walk with God and stay home. Now, the story now makes a good turn. And I want to close with the greatest moment in this whole story. And I want you to catch this now. This is so powerful. It says that one great day, this boy woke up. And what says the Bible tells us about him says he came to himself. In the Greek, it literally means he returned to sanity. The intimation being that when you walk away from God, it's insane. He returned to himself. He came to himself. Literally, to return to sanity. He saw the far country for what it really was. A delusion and a lie. Thoughts of the Father began to flood his memory. Flashes of the Father's house, the joy of it, the happiness he had known, the provision that he had enjoyed, jumped into the theater of his mind. He looked around and he compared where he was to where he had been. There is nothing more painful, but really it's a great day when you wake up if you have drifted. And you wake up and you begin to remember the Father's house. Boy, when I was in the Father's house and walking with God and loving Jesus and doing His will, I had such peace. I had such joy. There was real fun, fun that didn't get me in trouble, fun that didn't destroy me. I had great friends, and I, and I knew that I was right with Him. My conscience was clear, and those were the days. And you begin to sing that song, those were the days. But let me tell you something, friend. They don't have to be just the past, because this boy, it says, this boy said, something to himself. He said, I will arise and go to my father again. And he got up, hair messed up. He hadn't shaved. He was so skinny. He didn't recognize him. Bloodshot eyes, no shoes on his feet. But he said, I'm going home. He began to make up what he was going to say to the father. He began to put it together. He, was got, got, his, he got his script together. He said, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say, father, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. I don't want to be your son anymore. I don't deserve it because I've ruined that. I just want to be like one of your servants. Says, Even one of your servants have it better than me. So he had the script in his head. And he got up and he began to walk. What he didn't know is the father had never turned the porch light off. What he didn't know is the father was standing on the front porch. What he didn't know is the minute that he walked out, though the father let him go, which God will do, if you say, I'm going to leave the father's house, he will say, go ahead. You're going to find out what I've already told you in my word, that there's nothing in the far country for you. You need to stay in the house, but I can't make you do it. Find out on your own. 
But when that boy walked away, the father kept his eye peeled on the horizon. He knew he was going to come back. And so he's watching, he's watching, he's watching. And one day a little speck appears on the horizon. I can just see it. And the father begins to think, is it him? Is it him? He's walking like him, but he's skinnier than the last time I saw him. And his hair looks terrible and he doesn't have any shoes and his clothes are rags. He left with everything and he's coming back with nothing. But I think it's him. And it says in Jesus' parable, telling us the truth about God, that the father jumped off the porch and ran towards him and scooped him up in his arms and smothered him with kisses and said, my son that was lost is now found. And it says he put a robe on him depicting the robe of righteousness. He put a ring on his finger depicting a restoration of covenant relationship. And he put sandals on his feet, which in those days, you only put sandals on a true son. Only a true son wore sandals in the house. And the father was saying to him, I'm giving you my righteousness again. I'm giving you relationship again, and I'm giving you all the rights of sonship again. Come on back home, son. We've been waiting for you and praying for you, and you are received. Let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf. My son that was dead is alive. Oh, I love that story. He's overwhelmed with the crazy love of God. And he was completely restored. Can we stand together? And I want you to know today, God will completely restore you. I've drifted. Everybody in here has drifted on one level or another. I can tell you I'm so thankful that God wrapped his arms around me and loved me and not only received me back but restored me. I'm so thankful to God. And I want to tell you out there, nothing you have done would keep the Father from running towards you if you would take one step home. Can we bow for a moment? Pastor, I've begun to drift. I'm in the Father's house, but those thoughts, you're missing out. Why don't you just take a little detour into the far country? You won't stay. Just go see what it's like. You're being lied to. It's a mirage. Or maybe you're in the far country today. You've drifted. You're here in church, but your heart is gone. You've drifted, and and different things have gotten a hold of you. And you need to be set free. You need to be forgiven. You need that ring and that robe and those shoes. God will give it to you. You can say, Pastor Jeff, I need prayer today. I'm in one of those categories, and... And I don't want to go down the highway until I am totally restored in the Father's house. Can I see your hand today? Just lift it up and say, that's me, many of you. I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to remember what this boy did. It says, I will arise and go. What I want you to do here today is slip out from where you are and take a step right down to this altar. The first step you take the Father is going to come running towards you. I guarantee you, the step of faith, He's going to run towards you. You say, well, I don't want to go down there. Why do I need to go down there? Because it's putting feet to your faith. God wants to receive you and restore you today. 
So I want you to come. Come from everywhere. Come everyone who needs to. And we're going to pray in the name of Jesus. We're just going to sing for a moment. And you come. If there's a nudge on your heart, then come down and take care of it. And let's sing in Jesus.